good morning, everyone. So good to see everybody. Um, I w- we were laughing because this morning we got here and it was dry when we walked in. And then a little while later, everyone was coming in and they were drenched. So I'm really sorry if you got drenched. If you'd gotten here at, at 7.30, 7.45, you would have been dry. Dry as bone. You're a little bit early, but dry, right? Um, well, it's so good to see, see everybody today. I'm, I'm so privileged and thankful to be able to, to talk to you guys today. Um, you know, we've started a new series last week. It was called Modern Day Disciple. And so we're just talking about um, what a disciple is, right? And, you know, that's like kind of a funny word. It's a word you mostly only hear at church, right? It, it seems a little bit antiquated. And so it can seem like, what, what is a disciple? You know, Jesus had disciples, but how am I supposed to be a disciple? How do I even spell disciple? Why is it not pronounced discipple? Right? We have all these questions about what a disciple is. And, and you hear that, you know, you hear like you should be a disciple or you should get discipled or are you a disciple? I don't know because I don't even know how to spell it, right? And so we we're just in this series talking about what we at Joy Church, what we say a disciple really is. And we get our, um, our verse from Matthew 4.19. That's where we get our definition of what a disciple is. And, and Jake, he did a great job last week talking about this. My favorite joke from all of last week was when he said, no, I don't want to go fishing. I will go catching if that's what we're going to do. I don't mind going catching with you, but I don't want to go fishing, right? But uh, in this story we have, it's actually in your Bible, it's probably called the calling of the first disciples, and it's Jesus, and he's, he's calling these disciples, right? And it's in Matthew, and he says to them in Matthew 4, 19, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And he says this to this group of men, and they leave everything. They leave their nets, they leave their fish, they leave their boats, and they follow Jesus. And from this, we have our four words that we talk about what a disciple is. The first one is Christ. And, you know, Pastor Jake, he talked about that last week. He did such a good job, right? We have to follow Christ. Who are we following as a disciple? We're following Christ. And he did a marvelous job talking about moving from just being a fan to being a follower, right? But first, it says, Jesus said to them. So we're following Christ. The second one is community. Jesus said to them, right? There was a group of people. Community is important. The third one, change. I will make you, right? Jesus wants to change us. What a bummer. (laughs) Well, I know myself, so I know he probably should try to change me. Right? How many of you guys say, yeah, you should probably try to change me. Most of me is pretty awesome, but there's some parts maybe you should try to change. And then then he says, I will make you fishers of men. He gives them a new call. You're not just going to fish for fish anymore. You're not going to catch fish. I want you to catch men. And he gives them a call. And one of the things that we say at Joy Church is that a disciple is committed to follow Christ, committed to community, committed to be changed by Christ, and committed to the call of Christ. That's what we hear. We say, that is what a disciple is, committed to those four things. And today, I have the privilege to talk to you guys about being committed to community. Community. How many of you guys have seen the show? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, the other th- my other favorite thing that Jake said last week was, don't just spectate, participate. And really, that's what being a disciple is all about, is that you're moving from just being a spectator to being a participator. Did you know that God 
He wants to speak to you personally, that he wants to have a relationship with you personally, that he wants to direct your life personally. It's so easy to come to church and be in a big group and think God speaks to them, but he doesn't speak to me that way. But God wants to speak to you that way. There's no difference between me. You guys already know that. There's no difference between her and me. I know that one. But there's no difference between Pastor Jake and you. There's no difference between Judah and you. You guys are like, there are some differences. (laughs) That guy, I don't know, right? There's no difference between Kyle and you. There's no difference than, than Joel Olstein than you, except that they're tapping into the relationship with God, the same relationship with God that you can tap into. And that's what we're so excited to talk to you guys about during this series is, man, let's all go from spectators to participators in what God has for us. Community, I'm so excited to talk to you guys about the importance of community today. Um, You know, Jake and I, we were uh, youth pastors for a little while, and and at one point I had this, this youth, he came to me and he had just gone into high school and he was having a hard time. In, in high school, and he wasn't having a hard time academically because he's very, very smart, but he was having a hard time socially. How many of you guys can say, yeah, I can understand that. I was a junior higher, I've been a high schooler, don't wanna go back there, right? Some people are like, those were the best years of my life. I'm like, were you awake? <laughs> what was going on that those were the best years in your life? Were you like a prince or a princess and you lived in a castle? Because for the rest of us, they were awkward, they were hard, they were full of peer pressure, right? Those are hard years. And so this person, they were having a really hard time socially in school. And they came to me and they told me something, and I think they thought it was going to shock me. So I'm talking to them, you know, how's school going? What's going on? Are you making friends? Those kind of things. And, and the person, they looked at me and they said, Bethany, my best friends are not at the school. My best friends are here at church. And they looked at me like I should be shocked. So I'm just staring because I'm like, yeah, awesome, awesome. And then I realized like silent. I'm like, oh, this was supposed to be shocking or something, right? There's a social cue I'm missing here. I'm not under- and I realized, oh, you think that that sh- is surprising to me. And so I said, you know what? That doesn't surprise me. In fact, I think your best friend should be in the church because they have the same vision as you. They have the same mission as you. They have the same goals as you. They have the same God as you, right? And that's what community is all about, is that finding that group of people, your church, where you say, man, these are the people that I am doing life with. And the reason is, is because we have the same vision, we have the same mission, we have the same goals, we have the same God. And so we are doing this together. Um, Psalm 68, 5 and 6, I love this verse. It's talking about God, and it says, He's the father of the fatherless, and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary into a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. I love this verse. God, I mean, how beautiful. He's the father to the fatherless, the people who have no fathers, the orphans. He comes and he says, I am your father. He, he, he's the protector of the widows, right? They don't have a protector anymore. And he says, I'm going to protect you. He goes and he seeks out the hurt and the lost, and he settles the solitary into families. And that's us. That's the church. That's community. Is God wants to settle every solitary person into family. God's plan is for believers to be set into homes, into families, into community, 
into the church, we're never meant to be Christians alone. You know, the rest of, of these four things about being a disciple, Christ, change, call, all of those things you could do by yourself. But this one you can't do alone. And God, he never meant for us to do Christianity alone. He always meant for us to be together, right? He always meant for us to be a team. He always meant for us to be a family. So I have three things today, three ways that community will change you. And um, there's way more than that, but, you know, I had to narrow it down. So here's three, three ways that community will do for you. The first one is community changes you. Literally, being part of community, being part of, of having this group around you. These are the people, they know me, they know who I am, they can tell in my eyes when I'm getting annoyed, right? They know when I'm happy, they can tell when something good happened in my life. Being part of a community will change you. In um, Proverbs 27, 17, it says, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. This is a really cool verse. And in fact, I was reading about this verse this week. It was saying that this was probably written during the Iron Age. So this would have been something that they were like, no, literally. You know the iron in the backyard? You've been shaping it? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about right now, right? The iron, and, and their iron back then, it wouldn't have been pure. It would have been mixed with all of these different metals, and they would have used it for their weapons, right, for their swords. They would have used it for their tools, and they would have had to take a big piece of iron and slowly make it into a sword. I mean, if you wanted to have premeditated murder, it was really premeditated. <laughs> You had to think about that for a long time as you sharpened that. I mean, hopefully you got to the point where you're like, oh, it's too much work. Forget it. Forget it. I'm going to poison them. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But iron sharpens iron. They, you take metal. When you're going to shape metal, you take other metal to shape it, right? You take it and you pound it and you hit it and you scrape it and you do all of these things. Some of you guys are like, that sounds like when I go to get a pedicure. Sounds like the exact same thing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you, you iron, it's, you have to take metal to shape metal. And f- a fascinating thing about this is we always think about this like, okay, yeah, and that sword, it's getting formed. But you know what? When you're shaping something with metal, both pieces of metal change. Both pieces of metal change. Both of them walk away different. The sword that's getting shaped and the piece of metal that was shaping it. And in the same way, When you become a person, maybe you're a super mature Christian and you're like, oh, I have no more sharpening to do. I'm done. I'm done sharpening. Leave me alone. Then you need to start sharpening other people because guess what? You'll both change. God will help you to grow as you pour into someone else. And this is what joy groups are all about. You guys are like, I'm sick of you guys talking about joy groups. I'm so sorry. We're going to continue to talk about it. Because it's the heart of our church. We love joy groups. Maybe you went to one one time, right? Now, I'm not going to make you raise your hand if you've only been once, okay? But maybe you went to one one time, and you, you're like, I don't get it. I mean, it was like okay food, and people were like, okay, you know, and it didn't change my life. It's the time after time after time after time. The iron is slowly sharpening. And we're slowly changing. When we get into a group, when we get close with those people, when we open up with those people, when we begin to tell those people what we're afraid of or what makes us happy or where we're struggling or where we don't have faith for God in this area, as we begin to do that, we sharpen. We become more like who God wants us to be. You know, you, you can only get so much in this group right now on Sunday, right? 
But I mean, Jen Cavalier, she could totally offend me today. And I could leave and never speak to her again. Right? And maybe she would never know because we're not in a group. Right? But when I'm in a joy group and someone in my joy group offends me, I got to see them next week. Right? We got to work it out because we're a group. And that's what iron sharpens iron is. When you spend time with your community, you will change. Give, give, it, give it six weeks. Try it. I dare you. Go to one this week. Find one this week. Go to it. Try it. And don't just give it one chance. Give it a few weeks. Begin to see if you like it. You might say, I've been part of small groups. I already know I'm an expert on small groups. That's awesome. Come show your expertise in one of ours. Oh, man, she always, she, you know, she always tricks us. The second one, the second way that community is, is good for you, my second point is that it challenges you. What? It already changes you. Now it challenges you? This is just getting worse. Okay, Acts 2.42. It says, and they, this is talking about all the new believers, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." This just sounds like so perfect, right? This is the beginning of the church. This is the early church. And it said they loved each other so much. They were so together. They were such a community that they sold everything. And they shared all the money. And they shared all their possessions. And they gave freely to the people that needed more than than what they had, right? And it sounds so rosy. But, I mean, you have this many people selling their possessions and hanging out together and breaking bread together, you know it wasn't all rosy, right? You know that first time they're getting together and they're having their unleavened bread together and, you know, Patricia's like, "Mm, who made the gravy today? Who made the gravy? You know, and Rosie, she's like, I made the gravy today. It's a family recipe, right? And Patricia's like, I like mine a little thicker. You didn't, you didn't, you made, you thinned it out too much. You know, gravy's supposed to be a little thicker. And then Rosie's like, excuse me, I'm, I'm a descendant of King David. This recipe was brought down from the castle of King David. So you're going to back up, right? You're going to have arguments. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to rub each other the wrong way. That's when the challenge comes. What do you, what do you do when you have challenge at church? Some of us don't come back. Forget it. I'm done. I'm out of there, right? That's not the way God meant it. That's not the way he designed it. He, yeah, he knows it's going to be challenging. And yet we're still supposed to be family. It's, it's interesting to me that God talks so much about family because none of our families are perfect, right? And some of the most hurtful, some of the most intense, some of the most challenging personal conflicts of our life happen in our family right? And yet, no matter what, no matter how much of a jerk my brother is to me, he's still my brother, right? No matter what hurtful things my sister might say to me, she's still my sister. You know, I'm 32 years old, and she's still my sister. 
It hasn't changed. We've had fights. Still my sister. I still love her. We're family. That's the way the church is supposed to be. Man, yeah, we have fights. We get on each other's nerves. We work it out, and we're still together because we're family. That's how God designed it. He designed that his church would be this family that's close, that works things out, that doesn't give up. Community will challenge you. Community will challenge you, right? You have a kid who comes over to your house, and and they permanent marker your wall. That's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge, right? You have the kid that went to someone's house and permanent markered their wall. There's a challenge. Why did you do this? I'm humiliated by you, right? There's challenges that come, but what are you going to do? Are you going to work through them? Are you committed to your family, to your community? Because that's what we're supposed to be. There will be conflict. There will be offense. There will be challenge. How will you respond? And the third one, community completes you. Um, when, when I was a kid, I was born in, in Merced, California. I'm, I'm one of those people. Were you born near there? Oh, Woo! All right. I'm one of those people who, like, you know, moved here and pretends they're Oregonian, you know? And um, so I was born in California. My, my family, they actually moved there to take care of my mom's dad, my grandpa. And they didn't, my mom and her dad, they didn't have a relationship. They'd been, her parents had divorced when she was a kid. And he had a, um, a stroke. And they only gave him six months to live. And so my family, they moved from Texas. I was, my mom was pregnant with me. I wasn't pregnant with her. (laughs) She was pregnant with me. And we moved to California. And um, he was only supposed to live for six months, and he lived for nine years. So we lived in California for nine years. And my mom and my dad, they took care of my grandpa. I mean, really took care of him. He, He was a wonderful, wonderful man. I'm so thankful to God that they did this because literally as a little kid, he was my best friend. I loved him. He was the most amazing guy, but he was pretty helpless in a lot of um, normal day-to-day things. And so my mom they, and my dad, they served him and they took care of him for all that time. Um, so I, w- I went to a Christian school down there for kindergarten through a little bit of uh, third grade. And every year we had this day and it was called Grandparents Day. And grandparents would come, and they would either take you to lunch. If your grandparent was cool, they would take you somewhere to lunch. But if your grandparent wasn't as cool, you'd eat lunch in the cafeteria. But I didn't have, my grandpa was the only um, grandparent that I had that lived in California. And he couldn't, I mean, my mom, he couldn't drive. And my mom was going to let him be alone with me because he was like, let's get ice cream and candy and let's go walk on the freeway. I mean, just like, (laughs) he had personality. (laughs) He was really fun to a kid. So, I mean, he, he wasn't going to come to Grandparents' Day, right? And yet, every year, the pastor's wife from our church, her name was Patty Holtgren, she came to church to this, you know, kind of mouthy, sassy, probably ADD little girl, and would take her to lunch anywhere she wanted to go. Literally, every year. She'd come and get me for Grandparents' Day. I'd get to ride in her van anywhere I wanted to go. And I always chose the Golden Corral, Every single year. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. They had after-dinner mints that I thought were delicious. And the, I mean, it didn't matter what else they had because it was all for the dinner mints, right? And I remember one year she came and, and she brought her son that year. He was a grown-up. And she said, hey, sweetie, we were thinking of going to Sizzler today instead of Golden Corral. Would that? And I said, no. 
I choose. It's grandparents' day. You're taking me to Golden Corral. <laughs> I made them take me to Golden Corral. I mean, how embarrassing, right? But, but this lady, I had a deficiency in my life. I didn't have a grandparent that could come and be with me on grandparents' day. And so who was it that was my grandma? My pastor's wife in the church. All the deficiencies that we find in our life, they're fulfilled in the church. They're fulfilled in the church, and that's the way that God set it up. When he says You're the, he's the father to the fatherless, it's because he wants them to come to church and find fathers here in this house. When he says that he's the protector of the widow, it's because he wants the widows to come to church and find protectors in this house. When he says he sets the solitary in the family, it's because he wants them to come to church and find their family. That's how he made it. And not, no, no one in this room, we could have the best parents in the world. None of us have perfect parents. The best thing that my parents did for me was they got me in church. They brought me to church. We went every week, week in, week out, week in, week out. We went to church. This is the best thing they could have done for me. Why? Because areas where they weren't perfect, where there was like a deficiency, my parents were wonderful, so don't get me wrong, but where there was a deficiency, it was fulfilled in the church. I had moms and dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, brothers and sisters. And where there was an area where, where my, maybe my mom couldn't quite be there, someone else was there for me. Someone in the church. And that's the way that God created it. You know, I want to talk to parents right now for just a minute. You know, it takes a lot of humility as a parent to say, I don't have everything you need. I tried to be a good mom to my kids, right? I'm doing my best. I did your laundry. Isn't that enough? It was disgusting, right? But I'm not perfect. And there's areas where I don't look like Jesus. And so it takes me being humble to be able to say, yeah, someone else can probably speak into my kid's life in that area since I don't have it there. That takes humility. It takes humility. But are you brave enough to do it? Are you brave enough to let your kid come and be mothered, be grandparented, be uncled and aunted here in the church? Because that's what your kid needs. You know, in, in my life, I, I, I honestly, I had wonderful parents. For some reason, I don't think it was them. I think it was me. I couldn't talk to them about boys. No way. Never. You'll never know if I like someone ever. Right? For whatever reason, I couldn't talk to them about it. I was humiliated. I couldn't. But there were moms in church I always that would always come and talk to me about it. Do you like so-and-so? Oh, they're so cute. Okay. Well, you need to be good, right? <laughs> or whatever they would say to me, whatever advice they would give me. Or that guy's a bad guy. He's a rascal or whatever, right? I needed them. I needed them. I needed those moms to come alongside me and say, like, man, get away from that creeper. <laughs> He's a loser, right? God has better for you. That's what God wants to do in our church. Was that, that those places where we feel like, man, there's a deficiency in me, that it can be completed here, that you can find that wholeness here. In Psalms 34, 18, another verse that I just absolutely love, it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You know what, we're, we're getting ready to end. Judah's going to come up here and, and play some music to make the atmosphere that much better. <laughs> but in the Bible, there's this story 
And it's this woman and, and Jesus, he goes to these Pharisees' house. And, and back then, you know, they wore sandals everywhere, so their feet were absolutely disgusting. And, and they would go, when they would go to someone's house to eat, the people that were hosting, it was, you know, you'd give like some water so they could wash their feet. And the tables that they would sit at, they were low to the ground, so they would actually kind of lounge, right? And a lot of times they would have their feet behind them as they were eating dinner. And Jesus goes to this one house, and, and they didn't, it was Pharisees, and they didn't give him any water to wash his feet. And he goes, and he's eating, and this woman, she comes into the house. And she comes up behind Jesus, and she just begins to weep and weep and weep. And tears are streaming down her face, and she kneels behind Jesus at his feet. She lets down her hair, right? The crown of, of who she is, right? Nobody wants to get stickiness in their hair. You know, when you have a kid and they put sticky, you're like, that's disgusting. But no, she took her hair and she began to wash Jesus' feet with her tears, with her hair. And she had this perfume and she broke it over his feet. And she just began to wash his feet. And the men at the table, they said, they began to think, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And Jesus, you know, he knows what they're, they're thinking. And he says, he tells them a story, and he basically says, who's going to love more? Someone who's been forgiven a little bit or someone who's been forgiven a lot? And the answer is the person who's been forgiven a lot. And he turns to the woman and he says, you, your sins are forgiven. Go, go sin no more. And you know, there are so many people in our community. There's probably people even here in this room. And you feel like that woman. You feel like, I don't have a community. I'm an outcast. I've done too much. My past, what, who I am, the darkness on the inside, it makes me that I'm an outsider, that I'm not allowed in the community of Jesus. And I want to tell you something. Even though those Pharisees said, you're not allowed, Jesus said, you're in. There's room for you in my community. Psalms 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. I love this verse because if your heart is broken, it's literally saying Jesus is closer to you. He's closer to you because your heart is broken. He wants you to come in. He wants you to come near. And today, if everyone, if you will close your eyes, if you will bow your heads, I want to say a prayer for two different groups of people. And the first group of people is, is that woman. You're saying, man, today I want to come. I want to be part of the community. I want to be in a relationship with Jesus. It's, it's easy. It's simple is more what I should say, that it's simple. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart, that Jesus is Lord, and you confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. If you're in this room today and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus, I want to be part of the community, will you raise your hand? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just put your hand up. We just want to pray for you. We don't want to embarrass you. This isn't embarrassing. There's so many things I've done in my life that are humiliating, but giving my life to Jesus, I could never be ashamed of that. It's the best decision I ever made. Anybody else? Now, if you will just pray after me, everyone together will repeat this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me, for sacrificing for me. God, forgive me 
for the bad things that I've done. I believe you are God. Thank you for accepting me into your community. In Jesus' name. And, and for the rest of us, we are supposed to be the community of God. We are called to be that community, not the people that sit at the dinner table and say, if Jesus knew who that person was, he would never let them in. We're called to be like Jesus, who says, come on, there's room for you. There's room for you here. Come be part of the community. Let's, let's start being a community that says, I can be a mom to some kids. I can be a dad to some kids that don't have one. I can be a brother and a sister. I can be an aunt and uncle. I can pour out my life. I can be that iron that will sharpen iron. This week, I challenge everyone in this room to take another step towards community. Whether that means going to a joy group, whether that means starting to pour into someone else, whether that means maybe some of you guys go hang out with a kid who doesn't have a dad. Play baseball with him. Or if he does have a dad and you're worried about his commitment level, take the dad too. Double time it, you guys, right? But let's start being the community that, that Eugene needs to see.